All right, all right, let's go ahead and jump into it. So good to see you guys this morning. Happy fall, y'all. Yeah. Kicking off a new semester, new ideas, new opportunities. Our groups are up and running, and Bolden is uh, up and running. Super excited to be here. Like they said, if you don't have a devotional, grab one at the back, turn to page nine. We want you to hold God's word in your hand. Open up an app on your phone if you need to. We want to study God's Word together. We're a big fan of God's Word. And then what you can do is uh, take that devotional home, turn to page 12, and you can start studying our passage for next Sunday on Monday. And I promise you, if you're looking at God's Word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday morning is going to pop. Like, I'm going to suddenly become a better communicator of God's Word. You're going to think, Michael's amazing. It's, no, it's because you've been marinating in God's Word all week. And so that's why we provide that for you. So please take advantage of that. In addition, just like they said, we're launching a new series called Inescapable. This year we're asking the Lord to give us more boldness for our faith in Jesus. And one way we can do that is to look at the life and of Jesus, right? That the, the, the more we understand uh, Jesus' rule and authority is for all places, all people, at all times, that's going to embolden our faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, like, there's people in Nigeria right now. Jesus' rule and authority is over every person in Nigeria, right? There's CEOs leading companies around the world. Jesus' rule and authority is over every CEO. Like, take that in for a second. Like, let that sink in. Like, every, every CEO, like, his rule and authority is over all people, all places, all times. There's middle schoolers right now scheming something in their head that only middle schoolers could do. And Jesus' rule and authority is even over middle schoolers, right? And so let's look at God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read, you follow along. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the gospel of Matthew is written at a period in, in history where Israel is living under Roman occupation. Rome would come in, they would take over a people, and then they would hire a people to collect taxes on their behalf. And so Matthew is one of those tax collectors. Matthew is a, a Jewish man who has betrayed his people and gathering taxes from his own people to give to Rome, the people that are oppressing his own people. So right off the bat, when you see the Gospel of Matthew, a person would have said to themselves, like, what in the world could Matthew have to offer? A tax collector? Like, what could a tax collector teach us about the holiness of God? Who is this Jesus hanging out with a tax collector? And so right out of the gate, God's word is reminding that Jesus' rule and authority is over all people, all places, in all times. Like from the title, Gospel of Matthew alone, it's jumping off the page, right? That there's no background that Jesus can't touch, right? There, there's, there's no profession that Jesus can't work in and through. In addition, we, we see that verse 1 starts off with the phrase, record of the genealogy. Record of the genealogy, right? Genealogy, it's not as important in, in our day-to-day, -day, 
genealogy was, it's like your history of where you've come from, right? But in our country, in the United States, you know, you meet somebody and they're like, oh, you know, I'm Korean, Chinese, Russian, like Irish, Greek, and Swedish, like all, like all, like you do your 23 and me, and it just comes back and says, you're European, right? Because there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of people in us in, in the United States. Like for, for my family specifically, I, my dad was born in Oklahoma, his dad was born in Oklahoma, and then his dad married a Cherokee woman, there's a picture of her, her name was Chutakikuma, right, so that today, because of the genealogy, my children, my blonde-haired, blue-eyed daughter, and my red-haired son are registered members of the Cherokee Nation is because of this woman. You're like, how's that possible? It's because of this woman. Like, it, she is in our genealogy. Well, in Matthew 1, verse 1, he begins with the genealogy of Jesus. It's like his resume. Why should we follow this Jesus person? Why should we listen to what Jesus has to say? Who is he? And he says, this is who he is. This is his genealogy. And then he gives us three titles right there in verse 1. Jesus the Messiah, son of David, and son of Abraham. Right? Those are three titles. Underline those titles in your, in your devotional. Right? We're going we're gonna to talk about those titles in a, in a second, but you just need to know right off the bat, those titles are jumping off the page. Right? Those titles are are throwing the reader back into the Old Testament. We don't, we don't sense that when we read it today, but in the first century, a person listening to Matthew, they would have absolutely known that when he's, he's saying those phrases, like, son of David, that's a, that's a reference to First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. When he's saying son of Abraham, that's a reference to Genesis in the Old Testament. And so verse 1 is making these bold claims, and he's going to root it in the history of Israel. All right, because remember, he's talking to a people that are living under the oppression of Rome. I mean, Israel is not in a good day. Uh, they're, they're in, a, they're in a, a place of despair and darkness in their history. They're not where they want to be, right? There is injustice taking place. They're, they're seeing people hurt. Uh, they're, they're seeing people uh, put to death for no other reason than because they're, they're Jewish. And, and, and Rome is this heavy, oppressive hand. And so that it would be easy for you to be, you be overcome by the darkness of their day, by the despair of their day. And it's like Matthew is writing in his opening words of like, listen to me. He's saying, look. The, the God of Scripture's not done. You might look at your circumstances, and it might look bleak, but there is hope that's coming. So let's look at that. Let's look at that hope with those three titles. Yeah, we're still in verse one. There's so much in verse one. You see, Jesus the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed. All right, write that in your de- devotional. Write that in your notes. Right, that word anointed means chosen. That that Jesus, the, the one chosen, hand-selected 
by God. It's not like people got together that day and they were like, you know what, this Jesus guy, maybe he could be our, our Messiah. Or maybe, maybe Jesus didn't sit around and be like, hey, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to be the Savior of the world. No. When he says that phrase, Jesus the Messiah, he's throwing us back to the Old Testament, that he is the chosen one, that Jesus is anointed, that when you read Scripture, like Genesis chapter 3, we see sin enter into the equation, and by Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's, there's the promise that the chosen one is coming. Chapter 3, verse 15, theologically, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, that he will bruise you on the head and he will bruise you on the heel, right? It's not full picture of Jesus, but it's an illusion that a Savior, that hope is coming. At the end of chapter 3, right, you see this imagery of Adam and Eve ashamed in their sin, and there's a sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3, a sacrifice is made so that there's a covering for Adam and Eve. And so it's imagery. It's pointing us to the hope of a sacrifice, the hope of a covering that is to come. And this is all throughout the Old Testament. Noah and the ark, right? The, in the midst of judgment, Noah calls out to come and to enter into this wooden boat so that there would be rescue. That's pointing us to a Savior who calls out that judgment is coming and to trust in the wooden cross who will provide rescue. That's in the life of Moses. That's in the life of Jacob. I mean, it's in the book of Ruth. I mean, it's just hundreds of promises, little foreshadowings, typology pointing us. And so, Matthew, we don't get it in 2023 unless you've been raised in a Jewish culture, maybe. But in our culture today, we just read over it and we're like, and? But Matthew's saying, like, no, like, I get it. There's darkness and despair in the land. But all throughout Scripture, it's like the Father, Son, and Spirit are saying, He's coming. He's coming. And then Matthew writes, verse 1, He's here. Like, that's the type of hope that should jump off the page to you when you read it. Right? I'm sure all of us know the story. I hope you do. I hope you know about Deion Sanders and what he's doing right now with uh, Colorado University. Like, it's such an inspirational story. He was at Jackson State University, did amazing things, and then he comes to Colorado. And he uses this catchphrase. Deion Sanders used the catchphrase, we coming. Right? Have you seen this? And he says, and I'm bringing my bags. They're Louie. Right? He's just like, he, he gets there February, March, and so he starts to gather his team throughout the spring. And throughout the spring, he's saying, we coming. We coming. Right? He gets to the summer, and he's teaching his players. He's getting the plays. He's getting them ready. We coming. We coming. And then before the first game against TCU, he huddles those players together before they go out to take the field. And he gathers them, and he says, hey, listen to me. We've been talking about it. We coming. We coming. And then he says, today, we here. And it's electric. I mean, the players are like, yeah, we're here. Like, that's that's the type of electricity should jump off the page. Like, God of Scripture creates everything. It all falls apart in sin. We coming, right? King David rises to the top. Bathsheba falls into sin. We coming. Spiritual leaders lead them astray. Israel is taken into exile. They're conquered by Rome. They're living under oppression. It looks dark. And he's like, Jesus is here today. We're not coming anymore because Jesus is here. Isn't that good? 
His rule and authorities for all times and all places and all people. Look at that next phrase. We're still in verse 1. Son of Abraham. Do you know the story of Abraham? Man, do yourself a treat. Go home today. Read three chapters a day of the first 20 chapters of Genesis and just take in the life of Abraham because he's going to start drawing out how the name Jesus connects to Abraham. Look at verses 2 to 6. He says, Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. These are his sons, right? his offspring. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. And Obed fathered Jesse. Verse 6, Jesse fathered King David. So it's possible you're just like, why did we just read all those names, right? There's some cool names, but it doesn't mean anything to us. I get it. So let's just draw that out a little bit. First of all, you need to know that Abraham is a nobody. When he shows up in Scripture, he's worshiping rocks and moons, like just wandering in the woods. And the God of Scripture shows up, calls Abraham to himself, and he says, with you, Abraham, we're going we're gonna to start a new people. That's Israel. And through the line of Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, he says the nations are going to be blessed. Now, you just read over that, but that word nations in the original language is the word ethnicities. He says all the nations of the world, all ethnicities, all economic background, all educational background, all people of the world are going to be blessed. Who's he talking about? I'll give you a hint. starts with a J. Jesus, okay, right? Jesus, right? That's what he's, that's what he's talking about. This, this promise to Abraham, it's in Genesis chapter 12. It's repeated again in, this, in Genesis 15, 17, and 22. It's a big deal. Like, I know we don't get it. It doesn't jump off the page to us, but you need to know in the first century, they absolutely knew what Matthew was saying. They knew why he was listing those names. So let's just, a few observations on those names. First of all, notice that there's men and women listed in those names, right? Tamar, that's a female. Rahab, Ruth, there's five women mentioned in total. So right out of the gate, you see that Jesus' rule and authority is over all people. Men and women. Right? I know if you watch your TikTok videos today, they will tell you the Bible is oppressive towards women, is anti-female. And when you see those videos, you should just laugh, belly laugh. Because <laughs> there's no way that's possible, right? There's no way that's possible. Right? Women in the first century would have had little value. And so he's, he's giving credibility to the claims of Jesus, and he's layering it with women, to show that Jesus' rule and authority is over all places, all times, all people. In addition, you need to see the layers of ethnicity in these verses. Right? It's possible that you just thought problems with race relationships started with George Floyd in 2020. No. Right? It's possible you thought it's just the United States that struggles to get along with different ethnic groups. No. Right? All throughout 
human history, different ethnic groups have not cared for each other. And you see that. This isn't all Jewish people. There are Canaanites and Moabites, historically ethnic people that hated Israel, wanted nothing to do with Israel. Does that stop Jesus? No, because his rule and authority is over all places, all people, all times. Rahab was known as a Canaanite prostitute in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to study Joshua in the spring. Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute. Doesn't stop Jesus. Ruth is a, is a Moabite. Her world's turned upside down. You can read about her in the book of Ruth. Right? These are people that in their day, in the first century, people would, would not have considered their value. And yet when Matthew is wanting to capture the rule and authority of Jesus, it's so great, it's so massive, it's so, it's so magnanimous. You see women, women are involved. In a day when women would have been the outcast, overlooked, want nothing to do with, the God of Scripture says, no, I'm going to use them in a vital way. I hope you hear that this morning. The rule and authority of Jesus over all places, all people, all times. Like I, whatever your career is, whatever your background is, whatever your conversation with the doctor, whatever your struggle is in marriage and parenting, the rule and authority of Jesus is over all things. Or especially right now in our, in our day where it feels like, I mean, every country's falling apart. Maybe you even feel that for our own, our own country. I mean, it, just, it feels like maybe like in the 2000s we used to be more stable. And now you're just like, what do we even stand for? You know, people are, are we going to have a civil war? Is our country going to make it, right? Our church family, right? Our church family, you feel transitions taking place. And whenever there's ups and downs in lives, what happens? We feel vulnerable. We feel frail. We feel fragile. And so God's word is pointing us like to look. Look at what he's done. Are there moments of despair? Yeah. Are there moments of darkness? Yeah. There's no place where the rule of Jesus doesn't touch. Right? There, there's no mountain peak that he's unaware of. There's no speck like on a telescope out in the cosmos that he's surprised by. Like his rule and authority is over all places, all people, all times. I hope you hear that this morning. Yes, we might be in difficult circumstances. Yes, there might be questions that we can't answer. Yes, we might be on our knees in tears crying out to the Lord, what are you doing? And God's word is showing us, despite those circumstances, he is working. He is accomplishing his purposes. Look at verses 6 to 11. Verse 6, Jesse fathered David the king. David fathered Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. We'll touch on that in a minute. Verse 7, Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Right, Asa? Where are you at, Asa? There he is. Yeah, Asa's in the Bible. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Nobody named their kid Jehoshaphat. Something to think about for those who are having children, right? Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah, Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time the deportation 
to Babylon. Right? This is when Israel was being exiled into a foreign nation. Do you know the story of David? David is a bright spot in the history of Israel. If, you don't, if you've not read First and Second Samuel, do yourself a, a favor. Start reading a couple of chapters every day for a month and just take in the story of David. Right? When you see the title Son of David, again, you might be thinking, so what? I'm the son of Michael. Does it really matter? It does then. Right? Because when you see that phrase, son of David, it is a reminder of 1 Samuel chapter 7. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, there is a promise that one will rule on the throne of David for eternity. Right? That means an offspring somehow connected to David at some point in history is going to rule forever. Ever. Any idea who that might be talking about? I'll give you a hint. Starts with a J. You're getting better. Jesus. All right? That's what God's word's pulling out of us. It's not like some people got together. Please don't think some people got together and said, Jesus would be a great king. Let's make him the king. That's not what happened. It's not like Fred said, look at me. I'm the captain now. Like, it wasn't possible. There had to be a genealogy. There had to be a line. You had to be connected so that in the opening verses, Matthew is ringing out. He's here. The promised one of Abraham, the seed that will bless the nations. He's here. The promised one of David, the one who will rule for eternity. He's here. His name is Jesus. His rule and authority is unstoppable. I mean, just look at these names. I mean, verse 6, we said we would touch on that. The wording is really helpful. He says, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You know who that's talking about? It's talking about Bathsheba. First reading, that might sound like a slam on Bathsheba. Like, why couldn't they say her name? Like, why that? Like, David has her husband Uriah killed and then forcefully takes Bathsheba as his wife. And so that when Matthew references David, everybody would have wanted David in their genealogy. Like, who doesn't want to say my great-great-great-great-grandpa is King David? Everybody wants that. But Matthew words it in such a way so as to highlight David's greatest shame. Like David, who was beloved by all, the greatest king in all of Israel. And yet Matthew writes it in such a way to remind the reader of David's greatest shame when he had somebody put to death and took his wife as his own. So that we would look at those circumstances and say, this is impossible for anything good to come out of it. And yet the God of Scripture is saying, you see David, even though he was king, even though he had all the power, even though he had all the money, even though he had all the influence, David is somebody who needs a savior just like everyone else. David is just like everyone else. He's got a great title. He still needs a savior. Rahab, a prostitute, would have been discarded. She needs a savior. Matthew, a tax collector, would have been despised. He needs a savior. That's the hope of our passage this morning. I hope you hear that this morning. 
That is good news for every person in the world. You might be living in Vietnam. That's good news. That Jesus has come for every person. His rule and authority is for all people, all times. In the 1200s, you rich, poor, like every one of us. I hope you hear that this morning. I mean, do you really think, I mean, just think about your greatest struggle right now. You think about the greatest fracturing that's taking place in the United States of America that makes you bewildered. Do you really think that fracturing is bigger than the rule and authority of Jesus? Do you think he could work through all those generations of people to accomplish his purposes? And somehow he's nervous about the United States? I mean, the greatest challenge you have in your, in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your career, in your finances... Like, I'm not trying to say it's not hard. There's definitely moments of darkness and despair, but it doesn't thwart the plans of Jesus. That's why we're inviting our church family to make this commitment to be emboldened. I wish I could tell you, just listen to this sermon today, you'll be set for the year. That's how amazing Michael Dennis is. There's too many trials there's too many headlines in the news. There's, there's too many moments of despair and doubt. And so we want to embed our hearts and mind in God's word. We're challenging our church family. Grab that QR. Make the commitment. Memorize God's word. Hide it in your heart like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Right? You want to be rooted so that when those circumstances come, you know the promises. That's why we want to increase in prayer that we're talking to Jesus about what's going on. We want to be invested in people. We have to have people in our lives. Then when we're like, everything's falling apart, nothing's working, it's all going to collapse, we have people in our lives that will say, no, look to the promises of God. His rule and authority, it's over all places, all times, and all people. Look at verses 12 to 16 as he keeps going. Verse 12 says, after the deportation to Babylon, that's when Israel was taken into exile. Jeconiah fathered Shatil, Shatil fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abahud, Abahud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azur, Azur fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathen, Mathen fathered Jacob, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, right? Again, verse 12, it's it's referencing a period of time where Israel turns from the Lord. They're taken into exile. It's how they ended up where they are in Matthew chapter 1, right? They've gone through these these hills and valleys of life. They're, They're looking at darkness and despair it would have been so easy for the people to have think i guess the lord's forgotten they know the promises of abraham that from his seed the nations will be blessed but you know living under the oppression of rome they had to be thinking i guess it didn't work i guess it was too much They know the promises of of David that one will rule on his throne for eternity, and yet Caesar. I mean, Babylon had ruled over him, Persia, Assyria, now Rome. It's just like, it's not getting better. 
<laughs> There's not an upward trajectory of growth. And then we see verse 16. Jacob fathered Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. It's like Matthew is ringing out. He's here. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's here. Right? The fulfillment of 1 Samuel 7. He's here. So that Joseph is listed as the husband of Mary. The wording is so good. You see that in verse 16. This might be information overload. But, but Joseph adopts Jesus. Right? Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Jesus is born of the virgin Mary. It's a supernatural birth. right? And yet, because Joseph adopts Jesus, Jesus has the rights to all the privileges, all the legal contributions of what it means to be Joseph's son. And Joseph can trace his genealogy all the way back to David so that Jesus is born in the line of David. Even better, if you read Luke chapter 2, he also goes through the genealogy so as to say Mary is also. So Joseph and Mary are both of the line of David. So that the rule and authority of Jesus is not just declared. It's not like Jesus just puffed up his chest and said, listen to me, I'm a big deal. <laughs> it's validated. It's verifiable. If you've yet to believe in Jesus, you need to do that this morning. Like there's no one, there's no one greater than Jesus. If, if you believe in what our culture proclaims of we want peace and we want equality and we want justice, there's nobody that's going to bring greater justice, peace, and equality than Jesus. Turn and believe in Jesus today. Like even the prophet Muhammad is, is, is proclaimed to have authority, but it's only people in the Islamic community who recognize the authority of Muhammad. Does that make sense? Jesus' rule and authority is overall. Right? In the United Kingdom, I mean, I guess some people there still acknowledge the authority of the king of England. Right? I get confused. I don't understand how that works. But Jesus' rule and authority is over all, all people. We don't acknowledge the king of England, but all of creation will bow before the authority and rule of Jesus. Like, turn to him. Trust in him. There's no one greater. This is just a side note, just the mention of Mary. In the Roman Catholic Church, they'll teach that Mary is sinless, that Jesus and Mary are equivalent, but you just need to know that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus himself doesn't speak that way to his, his own mother. Right? She is a sinner, just like everybody else listed. Rahab, Matthew, David, and Mary are all in need of a Savior. So please don't get distracted by that. Let's end off with verse 17. He says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 
14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon are 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah are 14 generations. So when you see that grouping of three 14 generations, the reason you see that grouping is, is that you're supposed to see the ups and downs of life. Like in that first 14 generations, you see the hope, the hope of a kingdom that's coming. And the second grouping of 14 generations, you see that kingdom is lost. So there's despair and darkness. And then in the last grouping of 14 generations, there's just a period of silence. So that verse 17 is kind of a macro description of what every single person has in the micro if that makes sense. Like every person in here, we're doing stories right now in our community groups throughout the week. And so that men and women are sharing 45-minute stories of birth to present. And, and no doubt in every one of those stories, there's going to be layers of hope. This was happening. This was happening. I was very excited. No doubt there's layers of despair, darkness, and doubt. Not sure what's going to happen. And there's layers of silence, right? In every one of our stories, that's the purpose of verse 17. It's showing us the macro of every one of our our stories. And so with that in mind, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And so let's just uh, lower the lights and if our elders can come forward and our worship team to come up. And and I just want us to kind of reflect on calling the, the patterns of life. Because no doubt in this room, there's some of us that are in a place where, like, everything's happening that you want to happen. Like, you are in a season of hope, optimism. Like, you pray for it, it happens, God is good all the time, right? And no doubt there's some of us in here who are in seasons of despair, right? You're in seasons of, of discouragement. You're in seasons of, of, of questions, of doubt. And no doubt there's some of us that are in seasons of silence. Questions that aren't being answered. And and I can imagine in all those places, right, there's, there's a different part that we see of God. But I want you to know that the God of Scripture is working in every one of those stories. That's what we see in God's Word. No matter The hopes, no matter the doubts, no matter the silence, he's working. That his rule and authority is over all places, all people, all times. He's working. He's here. He's working. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background story is, no matter how old you are, rich or poor, what ethnicity, what education, he's working. That's what we learned. You have Rahab the prostitute and the king. David the king, they're right next to each other. He's working. Matthew the tax collector. Mary, the mother of Jesus, right next to each other. He's working. He's accomplishing his plans. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you to come forth. Right? Communion is a celebration. That cracker is a symbol of the, the body of Jesus that's been broken on our behalf. The juice is a symbol of Jesus' blood that's been poured out on our behalf. And so as you come forward, 
You're not coming forward in your merit. You're not coming forward in your righteousness. You're coming forward in the righteousness that you've been freely given in Jesus. If you've yet to believe in Jesus, we ask you to hold off. We ask you to hold off. But if you have, then come. Rejoice that Jesus is working in your life and he will keep working in your life until all of creation bows in honor to him. We'll have people to pray for you at the back. Please take advantage of that. I'll pray for us and you come forward as you feel led. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the gift of communion. We thank you for the reminder that we are not alone that you have come into our lives, that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that you have given us one another. And so let us walk forward in that truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as you feel led.